Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Listening, hear me. I may not pass this way again. Hello and welcome to the Robert Lane Creative Careers Podcast, the podcast about creativity and making a living in the arts. This episode of the podcast features a conversation with director Steve Hughes. I am on a mission to help you unlock your creativity. I'm sharing my journey as a musician, actor and writer, as well as offering online content like guitar and songwriting tutorials and chat about creativity. I'm doing this because I know how important creativity is for mental health and I believe everyone has a creative spirit. I want to help you find yours. Join me at robertlaymusic.co.uk and on social media as Robert Lane Music. Thank you. Hi, Steve. How are you? Not too bad, thanks. It's a bit of a gloomy Friday, but um, you know, um, looking forward to a nice Halloween weekend. Oh, great. And whereabouts in the world are you, actually? Um, I'm from Wigan originally, but I'm, uh, we all live down south now in Leatherhead in Surrey. Great. And how are things work-wise? We're obviously, everyone I'm speaking to at the moment have had things um, changed a little bit by the COVID situation that we're in. How has that affected you? Did work stop for a while or has it carried on through? It did. Uh, the The whole industry and pretty much the world stopped for months over the summer with the kind of the the first what well looks like will be the first of several lockdowns, um, and then um, I kind of went back to work for a little bit in um, I think it was late July or August to do a, uh, a an episode of Casualty, which was all about the coronavirus, which was really uh, amazing to do because it was really authentic and um, you know really relevant and um, a, a sort of massive bow and tip of the hat to the amazing um, staff members of the NHS and care workers in general. Um, and then um, other shows were starting to get up and running, which was kind of good because people sort of start to get back to work. But there's a lot more kind of systems in place to keep people safe. You know, um, there's people that to literally monitor you all the time to make sure that you're, you know, you're safe in your work environment, which is the very least you need. Um, then I've had about sort of a month off, um, six weeks off, and then I'm about to start a, a Netflix job um, in um, Bristol um, called The Last Boss. Uh, I'm doing the last episode of this new Netflix series, um, and that will take me through till April. And um, I think um, they're, they're still on schedule. They've been shooting already. Nothing's been stood down at the moment. So, so I'm feel very lucky um, that I've, I've managed to get. I've got some work uh, lined up ahead. And has it actually affected the way that stories can be told? So I'm sort of thinking a lot of the time on soaps on TV and all the rest of it, people are hitting each other if they're not kissing each other. <laughs> they're back together in pubs. How has it affected things? Have the stories had to be told in a slightly different way? And has there been, you mentioned the episode of Casualty there, talking about the coronavirus. How difficult is it to reflect what's current at the time of filming, not knowing what the situation's going to be at the time of broadcast? Well, I mean, we've just talked about the, the, the casualty episode first. I mean, that's set um, not kind of now. It's basically set 90 days into the pandemic, uh, into, the, into the lockdown. So, you know, we all knew what was happening at that stage. So it dramatises what happens um, in that first 90 days. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's quite uncompromising and hard to watch. And when we were filming it, um, you know, as I said, you know, we had lots of people there just to make sure that we were all very safe. But, you know... Um, I've watched a lot of other programs to see um, how they were doing it. And, um, you know, I felt that sometimes some shows felt like they were a little bit static. So, mm. um, you know, and in reality, you know, if you were with people in your bubble, like the way people who are working day to day in the NHS, they can be within two meters, but obviously 
actors playing those characters can't be. So, you know, there's a bit of kind of camera trickery, you know, kind of creative camera angles, um, you know, some split screen stuff sometimes, you know, hopefully people won't notice. And the way you block it, people move, um, you know, in reality, you don't walk into a room and stop and talk, you know. So it was, it was, um, you know, sometimes we have PPE on, on the actors when, if we had scenes, if that was medically appropriate. So mm. we, um, we could actually have people kind of interact if they're, you know, close together in a resource situation. Um, but yeah, I think stories are going to change moving forward because, um, you know, there's a certain amount of things you can do to sort of, um, to, to give the appearance of reality, but, you know, you can't do split screens and visual effects for everything all of the time. So, um, I mean, some shows um, are having all of the actors in a bubble so that they can all interact and carry on as normal. And the crew members have to stay two meters away and wear masks and sanitize all the time. And, you know, you can, you can minimize it as much as possible. I mean, you know, I think, you know, you, it's still, you know, if, you, if you're going back to work, you know, even with all of these protections, it can be minimized down to the kind of the smallest amount, but, you know, you've got to be aware that, you know, like it's not a perfect situation, but it's, it feels very, very safe. Um, but yeah, moving forward, things like kissing and sort of, um, you know, um, even holding hands and stuff, you know, it has to sort of be written to a script or you have um, people who are in a bubble together. So I think it will affect things for the foreseeable future, but, you know, people are working again and, uh, you know, it feels like we're getting back up on our feet. That's great. And how does it affect the actual job of directing? You know, are you having to wear gear and PPE sometimes and how is that a barrier towards actually communicating what you want from people um, I mean f- from my perspective it wasn't hugely different because what we would what we would um, advise was that you know you you can wear a mask if you want but you weren't told you had to you know because I think possibly you know wearing a mask gives you that illusion of that well I can be a bit closer than this because I've got a mask and I'm absolutely fine so in a way it's a constant reminder that you um, you know you're you know you need to be aware of your proximity to everybody else so you know you're not told to sort of wear gloves or anything but you know we all you know would kind of sanitize you know very regularly throughout the day yeah. um, and then when you know you're directing you know normally um, you know when I'm speaking to the actors, I mean, I'm never much closer than two meters anyway. So again, you would just take an extra step back. And if you're in a space, um, a, a location, a room, you know, there's a capacity um, to how many people can go in that room. So, you know, you wouldn't have, normally if we were sort of showing a, um, a scene where people were talking around a bed, say, you know, in, before COVID, we could have as many people in there as we wanted. But now there's a, so there's a proximity around everybody, you know, they've, it's been marked out. So they know suddenly now there's only seven people allowed in that room. So, People will only be in that room if they absolutely need to. Mm-hmm. And then we've tried to build kind of um, pods so that um, I've I've got my own monitor, which I would always normally have. But you know, sometimes when you're moving in from different parts around a, a set, you know, the, the monitors move closer because they think the directors shouldn't really have to watch if I, which never stops me. But we're always given a designated space now, so no one's ever going to have to move your equipment. But you know, it's, again, it's minimizing the amount of contact as much as possible. Um, and you know, people are really sticking to it uh, amazingly because you know we 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 have to take this seriously we can't just rush at the end of a day now we have to sort of say well if we have to come back tomorrow and finish it off we'll have to because in the past there was always a pressure that you had to finish had to finish but now we just can't take that risk at all and i think that's a really really good thing to come out of this yeah i'm really interested to hear from people what they think the the positive changes out of this pretty shitty situation might be and just developing ways of working which is what creative people do <laughs> you know that's the that's the gig isn't it sometimes bootstrapping and making things from nothing and finding problems and still doing the thing anyway which leads yeah. me on to ask a little bit if you wouldn't mind about your past really and what led you into the situation where you're working on these um big dramas off the of bbc and all the rest of it how did 
directing become a thing that you did and what were sort of the the steps along the way to getting you to where you are now um well i mean i i started out as a complete kind of um film nut i always was from a from a kind of very young age and you know watching lots of drama on tv and you know i never thought i'd ever get to make um, that kind of stuff i grew up in wigan in the north you know and in that sort of time you know it always seemed to it just felt like it was it was for other people to do you know yes. um and then you know, I went and did a television production course up in uh, Northumberland and um, made some kind of uh, projects, won, won a World Television Society Award for Best Student Film. And I thought, well, I, you know, maybe I can do this. And it is open to people. And this was kind of like the mid to late 90s. Um, and then I thought, well, I'm not going to get a job directing um, a Bond movie, you know, on my first time out. So I come up with a skill to have it as a background. So I, I sort of trained as an editor moved down to London. Um, this is where most of the work was at that time. And then um, worked as an editor for sort of seven or eight years and was making short films on my spare time without any kind of funding, just experimenting and sort of making things with friends. And then the head of BBC Drama at the time, Mal Young, came on a show that I was working on as an editor. And um, my brilliant wife encouraged me to kind of gave, give, give him a, a DVD, uh, remember those, um, <laughs> to, to, to the head of BBC Drama and, and say, um, you know, I'd like to do some TV drama. And thankfully, he watched it and responded to it really well. And then he got me a gig on Doctors, which uh, which was my first TV gig and was absolutely amazing. Do you know, it's so wonderful, the number of people involved in TV where Doctors pops up <laughs> somewhere along the line. And I'm in Birmingham, so it's like Doctors is like, you know, down the road. Oh, it's, I mean, I had such an amazing time there. I mean, I still feel like, um, so, you know, I still keep in contact with, you know, so many people from, from Birmingham and from Doctors, um, I did a show called Land Girls in Birmingham as well, and we all we all stay in contact with social media. And I still sometimes feel that like I'm uh, away at college, you know, and that's you know like eventually I'll kind of go back home, you know, because you know it's it's such a sort of a reliable, warm, friendly environment, you know, and it's it's a constant, and it's you know it's a great um, for the industry in Birmingham, you know, because there's not a lot of stuff in shot, shot in Birmingham. So there is a bit of stuff, but, you know, I don't feel like there's as much in Birmingham as there are in Manchester. And, you know, and, and we all, you know, I'm sure you know that the, the the industry and the people who work there are absolutely as committed to, to making amazing programs as that. So I, I really look back fondly and I, I wouldn't be doing what I was doing now if it wasn't for doctors. Mm. And it's interesting, you mentioned at the time when you were starting out and with college and stuff that everything more or less was in London. Do we feel like the the situation has changed there? We've mentioned Birmingham and Manchester. Has it become a little bit more um, decentralised in that sense? Oh, completely. But I'd say that's only really happened in like the last sort of ten years or so. I mean, it, I think you know, um, it just felt like unfairly like you know, um, you you know, all the work was coming out of London. I mean, that's why I moved down to London originally. But now, you know, I've um, out of I've been directing for sort of fifteen years. And I think I've only worked in London twice, maybe three times. Wow. Uh, and now because the, the work is everywhere else because I think it's, you know, it, there is a sort of a business element so people can give, um, you know, um, jobs to people in different areas, but also to sort of to explore different attitudes and give, um, you know, hear different voices and and not make it all the same vanilla kind of thing. You know, it's, it's a much more vibrant world we live in now and, and um, to, to tell those stories from the actual locations and spread things out is is massively important. Mm. And I found it interesting that you mentioned passing on the DVD to the head of BBC Drama. I always find this kind of thing interesting because I've spoken to people who'll say, you've got to do that kind of thing, like it's a constant kind of hustle, which I believe it is. But then there's also that thing of you don't want to necessarily be the pain in the arse who's passing your things on to everybody. So it's yeah. it's interesting, that fine balance. And you said that it was your wife who encouraged you to do that. 
Yes, oh, completely. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to do anything without her. I mean, she's, um, um, you know, I, I, I didn't have a lot of confidence when I was younger, and you know, she, you know, just made me feel like I could do anything really, and that's, you know, sort of, you know, give me the support to, to go in and say, you know, you are good enough. Um, and even today, you know, like she always gives me a bit of a boost and sort of says, you know, that you, you know, you're amazing because you know, you, we're all kind of sensitive people and insecure and stuff, and that's, you know, as long as she's got my back, then I. I you know, I can do anything really. Does she work in the industry as well? She worked in the industry for quite a while, lots of different types of things from packaging of DVDs to actually working in production and stuff. And she produced some of my short films and stuff. And now um, she looks after um, the, um, our two kind of daughters, which is, I think is much harder than anything else that I do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt the conversation at this point, but I wondered if I could ask you if you might possibly consider subscribing to the podcast, rating it and writing a review on your favourite podcast provider. Doing these wonderful things encourages the all-powerful algorithms to push the podcast to new people. It's also helpful when I'm talking to potential future guests, as it shows the people are listening. Thank you. And um, on that showreel DVD that you passed on then, what was on there? Was that kind of like bits of the short films and stuff that you'd done and editing, or, or had you got a particular... It, it, it was one it was, just, it was just one short film. I mean, I think I've made 10 short films in 10 years, and... We made this short film, which we shot on film, and looked kind of pretty good. I mean, you know, I didn't, I didn't really know what I was doing back then. You know, I was a film fan that was making stuff. I hadn't really learned the process. I hadn't, you know, everything I'd done was just watching DVD extras and what I thought was right. But you know, I had no idea how to talk to actors and how to shoot. But it looked kind of quite cool, and it was kind of had a, quite a neat little twist at the end. So I felt confident uh, enough to kind of, um, you know. Um, approach the, the head of uh, you know bbc drama and that's you know he said i'll watch it and if it's any good um i can put you in contact with someone at doctors and um if not then you know we'll know hard feelings so you know he watched it and really liked it and then i got a, um i've got some shadowing up in birmingham so um there used to be an amazing kind of um you know the executive producer of a doctor called beverly dartnall and she you know saw that i was kind of you know engaging and uh, excited about you know working on the show um you know because it's a, it's a smaller show in the grand scheme of things but you know it's 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 a really good show to start out on because you know um you know it still gets amazing kind of figures um but it's it's not on under the spotlight the way a lot of other shows are so you can learn and you can try things and you can make mistakes um but um yeah that's you know it was it was him watching it and my wife uh, pushing me to do it that kind of got me to where I'm, what I'm doing now and I find from my, from my own experience as like an actor and a musician that oftentimes just somebody having a look or listening to whatever it is that you're doing, somebody proper <laughs> who's in the yeah, I, I who's use that there, all the time. Yeah, someone proper, yeah. a grown up, <laughs> just yeah. them giving you the kind of time of day, even if it doesn't lead to anything. That in itself is a little bit of a boost. And if even if they don't, you know, if you get the feedback of this isn't quite right yet, or you could do this or that better, the fact that they can spot something in there that's worth talking to <laughs> is often quite a boost in itself isn't it and i know it must be very difficult for for those grown-ups in those situations because every film student they meet or every actor that they get the cold emails from and everything it must be very difficult but it's yeah. it's very important as well because all of the industries do need new people and, and new talent is going to have rough edges and it's gonna you know it's gonna need those things kind of looked at and worked on i suppose Oh, completely. I mean, and, and, and you know, um, I have lots of um, professional people contacting me and friends who are directors and actors and stuff. And, you know, I always sort of say, you know, look, doctors and shows like that are a really good starting point, but, you know, and reach out to them. But, you know, it's, um, you know, if, they, if you don't hear back, there's not some 
you know, a very focused conspiracy on you that they just don't <laughs> like you. It's like, I mean, you know, that I, I remember going into Mike Hobson's office, who's like, um, like the series producer there, and you know, and he'd had literally have a wall full of DVDs back then, and you know, he just doesn't have the time to, you know, he's got a day job, he doesn't have time then to sort of sit down and watch, you know, sixty showreels a day, you know, because he would say that he would get dozens a week and and showreels and and um, um, you know short films. So you know, um, it. The people who tend to get the gigs are, you know, their email will land in his email box, uh, his inbox at the right moment. And I think, oh, I'll click this link and three minutes later, okay, you know, that's good. So it is a bit of a lottery, but um, it's not impossible. And that's, you know, you've got to just keep making stuff, you know, um, and sort of keep proactive. And, and you know, it's, it's all good to say you're great, but, you know, you need to have something to show for that as well. So, you know, it's, it's even if you're just shooting stuff on your iPhone and just creating content and, getting it out there, I think it's, it's, you know, it's something that people can do whilst they're waiting for the, the phone to ring. That's it. I think there's a couple of things I've, I've sort of discovered through doing the podcast and, and other stuff. Um, there's a Rob, not that I've spoken to Rob Brydon, but I saw him in an interview talking about how don't tell people what you can do, show them. And I think yeah. he has a similar story, like he had his showreel thing and the right person, there you go, rather than saying I'm this great comedy actor or whatever. Because um, there are a lot of, you know, they're obviously clearly lots of so many kind of talented people out there, but they just don't, you know, they they just don't walk through the door at that, that right moment. Yeah. And, it, and, it's, and it's tough, you know, there's no easy way to say it. You know, you can't, there's no, there's no equation for it. You know, people will say, how do you do this? And it's like, well, I can tell you how I did it and how, I've heard some of the stories how other some people do it, but it's not like you say, once you've done this, this, and this, then you, you've got a job in TV. It's, there's a lot of luck and obviously talent will keep you there. Um, but you know, you, you need to sort of be there at the right time really. Mm. And the other bit, I think I've noticed this certainly with the, the music uh, side of things, do it anyway. So it might not be that Sony BMG are going to sign you or whatever, but make the album anyhow, <laughs> you know, shoestring and get it all together because it exists as a thing. If somebody's going to help you, that's fantastic. If not, you're still going to do it, and you're still going to learn. And you're still going to learn from that as well, aren't you? You yeah. know, you're still, you know, you're going to get better. You know, you're not going to make, you're not going to write a song or make a short film and it's perfect, and then you know the the rest of your life is mapped out. It's like you know, you'll watch it and be honest with yourself and say, well, you know, um, you know, is this good? Why is it good? Or why isn't it that good? You know, get friends and feed, you know feedback from people, and that the next time you do it, you know, then you'll say, well, I'll improve by doing this. So you know, we're all constantly learning. You know, even people who are much more experienced than I am, you know, still say that like, you know, every time they, they walk onto a set, they, they feel like they don't know what they're doing because, you know, or they're, they're, they, they want to learn things because, you know, um, I think if you're um, an artistic and creative person, you always want to improve yourself. So, um, so yeah, I think that, that that's really important as well. And then from, from that sort of doctors thing then, and the other programs that you've been involved with, you mentioned Lang Girls, I think Doctor Who's on your CV as well and Killing Eve, of course, which is a massive, Massive, great success over the last few years. Compared to doing it yourself <laughs> as a film student, yeah. that had certain challenges, but perhaps it was a little bit more uh, low risk. Whereas working with the top-notch people with the top-notch gear and everything is everyone's at their top of their abilities, I would imagine. But then there's a different sort of pressure of if you fuck it up, then <laughs> it's yes. going to cost one a lot of money and a lot of people are going to know about it. What are the differences in those two environments? Yeah, I mean, when you, when you're making your own things, I mean, you've got complete freedom. You're not answering to anybody, so you know it's your it's it's your unfiltered voice and your storytelling. You know, you're not a lot of the time you haven't got a producer who or a a, a team or a broadcaster who's going to sort of say, um, right, let's we like it, but let's make these changes. You know, generally, you know, if you make it, you know, um, that's that's your voice, and that um, that's that's really amazing. But it's it is also great to collaborate with people as well and get their feedback as well and their experience to help tell us 
different types of stories and that there are there is there is more pressure when you're working on a sort of a, a bigger show where um, you know the, the budget's much higher the mm-hmm. viewers are going to be much higher so there's more pressure um, but you know you've got to you've got to sort of not think about that like you know when I'm you know um, if I'm directing even an episode of kind of casualty you know you, you know you think oh, like three four million people are going to be watching this and you think million and you think you know like that's all going to come down to literally what's inside my head so whatever i think of is going to go on the screen um and that's the same as when you're making your short thing so you know you and making your own project so but i think it's good to sort of um not get too freaked out by that and just be honest with yourself and and be a good collaborator and work with people and um you know i i really like the collaborative process i mean with actors and with producers and crew members and that's you know, I like getting feedback and I like, you know, working with actors and discovering new things and, and sort of learning kind of tricks and things what you can do along the way. Um, so in a way, it's, you know, it's still your creative voice, but you have um, it's you have more collaborators, I suppose, when you're working on a, on a bigger project. Mm. And is there, do you, is there still an element of or a desire to be doing your own things as well during the course of that? I imagine it's difficult with the amount of time that must go into making those programs. But is there... I don't want to say a passion project, but is there an idea to do some of your own stuff as well concurrently with that? Oh, completely. I mean, I've, I've been working on a, a feature script for about sort of six years, seven years, um, off and on, much much more off than on. Um, and, you know, because I'm not a, I'm a, 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 a um, skilled writer, you know, I've got some talent, so I'm good at rewriting stuff. But, you know, when I don't have a specific deadline, I, I just let things slip and right. I'm too much of a perfectionist um, and, you know, so I've never ever got to the end of it. I'm, I'm actually pretty close. I'm sort of at the end of the second act. I've got 25 pages to finish off. I know what I'm going to do, but you know, it might be another three months before I actually get it finished. And you know, I need to get over that. But um, yeah, I mean, eventually I want to. I would love to work in films. I mean, you know, I'm. I think I've. Um, I've got the skill and the the passion to to do that. And that you know, I. Uh, you know, I hear so many. You hear so many horror stories about. You know. Um, um, you know things that go wrong when people are shooting and, you know, we watch a lot of films that aren't that great and that's not that you think, Oh, I've got the, the, the most amazing kind of script and story ever, but you think this one feels pretty good and it feels like a movie. Um, so, um, you know, I think eventually I'd like to sort of, um, you know, work on a feature. I've been offered features before, but, um, I just think that, you know, you, you only get one chance to make a first feature and that, you know, they just haven't been my voice or, um, the scripts haven't been kind of good enough. So, so I've passed. So, I feel like, you know, people obviously think that they could trust me with stuff, but I, I just feel like I would like it to be something of my own for the first time out. And talking about television, you mentioned the feedback of the people that you're working with. How are you with that feedback from the wider public and those reviews and things? Is that something that you care about? Um, do you ignore it? What, what sort of... I- yeah, I mean, I, I sort of, um, um, I mean, generally, I think, you know, almost unanimously, I, I get really good feedback on the stuff that I do. I mean, you know, I've got lots of people following me on Twitter, and I like to engage with people and sort of, uh, you know, I sometimes do a Twitter commentary on the shows that I do. And that's, but yeah, there have been some projects that I've done where people have, have said, this is terrible. And, and you sort of, know, they're right a lot of the time. I mean, sometimes people are a bit mean, you know, we all do it. You know, we all take the piss a little bit out of things sometimes. And hopefully it's, you know, generally kind of, um, you know, not taken too seriously. So, so when I read that myself, you know, I don't, I don't lose any sleep over it. You know, I think if, if it's, if I feel like it's true, if it's, you know, real and true um, and I, you know, then I think, well, yeah, do you know what? You're absolutely right. But thankfully I haven't had too much uh, experience of kind of massively negative stuff, but the few times when I have, 
it's not that it affect me too much. I mean, I, I I read it, but I don't, you know, I don't I don't lose sleep over it. It's interesting, isn't it, the whole um, review thing? Because again, talking to different people, some people are very hurt if people don't get what they were trying to do. Other people, it's hard when the review hits the nail on the head and <laughs> it's actually something that they've known themselves wasn't quite right it's it's very interesting but yeah. tv is such an intimate thing isn't it like the thing you make goes into somebody's home traditionally on the tv in the corner but now it's on, it's in their hand perhaps that they're watching it so they fit there's a certain ownership i think people feel with television that's maybe a little bit unique compared to so many other art films i'm not sure yes and i mean and also like television now um you know you know we're telling much more interest in films um, you know, on television than we are at the cinema. You know, even yeah. in America, you, know, you tend to have these, you know, two hundred and three hundred million dollar, you know, superhero movies um, and maybe a couple of other sort of smaller genres, and then nothing else. So all of the kind of indie storytelling, and probably the more, I'd say, probably maybe some of the more interesting kind of storytelling is now on television, on Netflix and Amazon and stuff. So you know, and and for people who want to tell stories that aren't just all about visual effects. Visual effects and explosions and actions, great fun to do, but, you know, it still always comes down to character and storytelling, and you can do that more on television, you know, even whether it's a sort of a standalone 90-minute piece or it's a sort of a, a series, you know, you get to sort of develop characters and stories. I mean, look at Breaking Bad. I mean, it's probably one of the finest pieces of television ever, and The Sopranos, it's like, you know, um, you know, there's there's much more um, interesting um, stuff on television, I think, these days than, than there is on the big screen, sadly. Um, um, and and with all of the kind of COVID stuff, I mean, I, I think that's going to take a, a we, none of us know what, how that's going to affect cinema moving forward long term because, you know, cinema chains are closing and, you know, mm. people are starting to watch stuff. There is better technology, you know, when we were younger, you know, you used to have a, um, you know, you'd watch it on your sort of square four by three telly, but now, you know, we've got a 15 inch TV in the corner and, you know, amazing kind of sound systems and you can, you know, the access to, uh, to, to content is so immediate that, um, you know, we just view stuff in a different way and that, you know, I, I think, you know, it's, it'd be wrong to sort of ignore the fact that that's how people consume stuff these days. So I think it's, it's you know, you have to sort of embrace it rather than be afraid of it. So um, so I think television is a really good place to be working right now. And, of course, technology changes things as well, doesn't it? Like it, it is possible for something to be, to have an audience and to build its own audience without being... Um, a mega mainstream thing, perhaps in a way that wasn't possible in the past. And that's maybe where cinemas are, are missing out. Like one of the reasons I, was, I love podcasting so much um, as a, as a listener is there are podcasts with quite specific um, audiences, not enough. So like there's several music ones, they're not a big enough audience to do a BBC four weekly show probably, but it's a great loyal audience that will support a podcast. Um, oh, yeah. And you, people just make it at home and put it out. And there's a cinema element to that with films, isn't there? The technology is there that you can just create something and put it out and it might have a tiny audience, but that's kind of all you need to get stuff seen at this point, I think. No, absolutely. I mean, I listen to a lot of podcasts and even a year, two years ago, I just never, I had no interest in it. But again, it's just consuming that media in a different way and that's, you know, I'm not listening to it because it's popular. It's because I'm listening to it because it's something I'm specifically interested in. So, um, you know, I think it's, you know, just this, the, the way we view and, and do things these days is, is so much more different. But as I said, you know, I feel like we have to embrace that. Um, I think it's, you know, it's a, it's a really exciting and also uncertain time at the moment. And, um, you, know, we, we, you know, we we will get through all of this. I think, you know, it's um, it's it's scary, and, but, you know, it's but it's also corny to say, but we have, we have to just try and stay positive and, you know, do the right thing and we'll make it through. We absolutely will. 
Great. Steve, if people want to catch up with your projects and maybe get in touch with you and follow what you're doing, what's the best way for them to do that? So I'm on Twitter as Movie Goblin, which is M-O-V-I-E-G-O-B-L-I-N. Uh, I've also got a website, which is stevehughesdirector.com. Um, if people want to ask a question or anything like that, I've got examples of my work on there um, and uh, constantly updating that as well. So, um, yeah, feel free to get in touch. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat to me, Steve. That's been fascinating. Cheers, Robert. Thanks. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. Join us next time on the Robert Lane Creative Careers Podcast. Until then, please subscribe, rate and review and have a look at robertlanemusic.co.uk to see the other projects I'm working on. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye.